However she feels, Supreme Court justices are not supposed to influence our presidential elections until there is a recount in Florida. <laughs> All right? So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Why? Why? I got the feeling that something right. Oh, yeah. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast at 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Five days a week, blanketing planet Earth. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, Troublemaker and Muckraker from Bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, there is a lot of guessing about what actually will or won't happen at next week's Republican National Convention in Cleveland, Ohio. We will be joined momentarily by someone who actually understands stuff like how the RNC Rules Committee works, whether delegates will actually be free to vote their conscience, or if they will be legally bound to vote for Donald Trump, whether they like it or not. And and also to find out what history may tell us about this insane presidential election, particularly from a Republican perspective presidential historian and uh, an advisor to two Republican presidents and a host of Republican presidential campaigns uh, will join us to speak momentarily to offer some insight, hopefully, into the mysteries and madness that uh, may await us in Cleveland next week. Also coming up a bit later, Desi Doyen with the latest Green News report. Hi, Des. Hey. On... uh, on how the GOP platform will be dealing with or not dealing with the environment. We oh, the mystery. Will, yes, we will discuss in that report, among other things, the one word that the Republican Party added to their platform this week that, frankly, makes it just amazing, at least to me, when it comes to the uh, climate and the environment. And our latest Green News report, I should add, features what I think, don't know about you, Des, but I think, hands down, the funniest snarky comment in a Green News report ever. I I believe I I have to agree with you on that one. (laughs) This one uh, comes courtesy of Senator Al Franken. So that alone is worth hanging on uh, and and listening to the broadcast today for. Uh, And uh, also uh, something that we didn't have time for in our Green News report today, but uh, up in Alaska, this uh, Brian Brett Schneider, a climatologist, Uh, from Alaska, Ph.D. climatologist. Uh, He tweeted that last night, 
there was an all-time record of 84 degrees Fahrenheit at Dead Horse, Alaska. That's a uh, record for any weather station within 50 miles of the Arctic Ocean. But if you don't know Alaska, Dead Horse is up on the northern coast of Alaska, like the most northernmost part yes, of Alaska. Yes, the last bit of land yeah. before you hit the ocean at the, so at the north, at the very top of the planet. Man, uh, 84 degrees. <laughs> at the most northern part of Alaska. And, and I this checked, is inside the Arctic Circle. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like hundreds of miles into the Arctic right. Circle. 84 degrees. And I checked uh, after I saw that tweet uh, at, at 9.20 p.m. last night. It was still 79 degrees there. So other than that, well, you know, nothing's wrong. Why worry? Um, speaking of why worrying, no, I don't actually. That's a bad segue. Uh, <laughs> Mike Pence is now being uh, uh, floated a lot of media reporting uh, from uh, anonymous sources at this time as we go to air that uh, Trump's selection for vi vice president will be Indiana Governor Mike Pence. We'll see if that uh, comes to pass. We will know at this time tomorrow. And I know some of our affiliates play the program the next day, so they may already know whether it's Pence or not. Uh, it's all based currently on anonymous sources from within the Trump camp, but a lot of them. Uh, like I said, it could easily be a faint a head fake. Uh, in any event, Trump has said he'll make that announcement 11 a.m. on Friday in Manhattan. So nobody knows right now. Everyone's just guessing. Pence is the uh, one term controversial and pretty unpopular governor uh, from uh, Republican governor, obviously, from the Hoosier state. He served uh, in the House for 12 years. Prior to that, he was a talk radio host. So, yeah, it's about time a talk radio host commanded the seat of power that you we wish. justly <laughs> deserve. Uh, anyway, we will have plenty of time to talk about Mike Pence, if in fact it turns out to be Mike Pence. Um, <laughs> and uh, who disagrees, by the way, with Donald Trump on a lot of stuff. But anyway, we, we'll hold that uh, speculation for others and for uh, the next program when we actually know we do actually know a little bit about who's going to be showing up at the Republican National Convention to speak now, thanks to Jeremy Peters over at the uh, New York Times, who outlined, you know, Donald Trump had promised star power at the convention. Well, instead of that, we'll have a focus on Benghazi and uh, some uh, professional golfer, the head of the, uh, what is it, United Fighting Championship? UFC. UFC, yes. Uh, and not a lot of stars, actually. Uh, even the great Republican star Sarah Palin is so far, anyway, not on the schedule. Instead, you have the second rate uh, uh, Sarah Palins, like Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Governor Mary Fallon of Oklahoma. Um, and, of course, all of Donald Trump's children and at least one of his wives. That's what we know uh, so far. Uh, Donald uh, Scott Walker will be speaking. Uh, Mitch McConnell will be speaking. Uh, and t oh, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow will be speaking. Uh, NFL's Tim Tebow and uh, some astronaut or another uh, who was actually the first, um, I think she's the first woman to lead a space shuttle uh, mission. So there's that. Not that she's you know, very well known, but that's what we know, what the guessing is about the uh, Republican convention at this point as we go to air. 
So we'll learn more uh, in the days ahead, and maybe we'll have some insight from my guests coming up. Yesterday on the program, however, I, I covered a couple of polls, and I you know cover all of the polls as they come in, uh, good and bad. Uh, you know, when they're notable in any event, uh, one way or another for um, for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, obviously, before that. Uh, but I, I, I got a lot of criticism yesterday over at Daily Coast, which is a supposedly a progressive website where uh, we post the uh, the broadcast um, amongst many other places. Uh, and they're, of course, they're huge, huge Hillary fans over there. And if you even discuss anything that is not positive in some fashion or another for Hillary Clinton, whether it's based on facts or not, the commenters there kind of freak out. I think it's weird. I think they would want to know if there are concerns about their presumptive nominee. Um, but uh, they just uh, freak out and they pilloried me. Attempted to. Uh, attempted to. I was pilloried over Hillary, over at uh, Daily Coast, for reporting uh, on the Quinnipiac and the Maris polls that came out yesterday, finding that Hillary Clinton was dropping in her polls against Donald Trump following the... uh, Following the FBI uh, announcement that they would not uh, bring any indictment, that they would not recommend an indictment against her after uh, uh, FBI Director James Comey uh, delivered the actual facts from the FBI's investigation at a press conference and nearly five hours of testimony before Congress. And by the way, I think that uh, and clearly that has had an effect on her polls, at least for now. We'll see if it's temporary or not. But it has had an effect on a number of polls, both nationally and in some key swing states. And I pointed that out yesterday because, you know, it's news and it's facts and stuff like that. Well, uh, some of the some of the commenters at Daily Coast actually you know, freaked out about this um, and pointed to the fact that Quinnipiac has, in fact, been critiqued over time uh, for having Polls that are overly weighted towards a white electorate, which is not as white anymore as Quinnipiac uh, seems to make it in their polls. And uh, that's true. I'm not an expert in uh, in polling. It's true that they have uh, faced that criticism before. But most notably, I was pointing out uh, Quinnipiac's poll in Florida as compared to Quinnipiac's poll in Florida just a month ago. So, so apples to apples. Apples to apples. So even if you say that Quinnipiac overly weights the uh, the uh, their uh, the electorate in their polls, okay, so be it. She plummeted eleven points in that Quinnipiac poll in Florida. She had led uh, forty-seven to thirty-nine just a month ago in the Quinnipiac poll. Now Trump leads 42 to 39 in the Quinnipiac poll, the same poll in Florida. That is notable. Also, um, they find uh, that they are tied in Ohio, Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump, and that Trump, I'm sorry, actually Trump leads. um, Yeah, they're tied in Ohio, and he leads in Pennsylvania uh, by two points, according to Quinnipiac. But NBC News also found Similar numbers for uh, Hillary Clinton since the FBI announcement and since it, I should add, she will not. They announced she will not be brought up on charges. And as a matter of fact, we spent quite a bit of time on this show pointing out how a lot of the criticism of Hillary Clinton over that private email server is, in fact, overblown, according to the actual uh, facts noted by the FBI. 
Uh, and in fact, that, you know, the the idea that she passed on the emails that were marked as classified is greatly overstated. The media has overstated. done that damage and that damage has been done. The media has done that, but also voters. This is the way voters are seeing it, both Republican and Democratic alike. And Bye. it is affecting the it is affecting the polls here. Um, and yes, you're right, because of the way the media is not being clear about what was found and what wasn't, what Hillary said and what she didn't. And in fact, what the uh, James Comey said was that it, it didn't seem like Hillary was lying. He seemed to indicate that she really didn't know, that she really didn't fully understand what was and wasn't being done with her own email server. We went to great uh, measures to point that out. Nonetheless, Everyone does not listen to the broadcast, uh, only the smart people out there. And uh, so everyone else, you know, just goes with what they hear in the corporate mainstream media. And that has had an effect on the polls. And you would think that uh, folks who claim to be progressive, claim to be interested in the Democratic candidate and making sure in this case that she wins, that they would uh, welcome this news so they can in some fashion act upon it. As I say, it was not just Quinnipiac. It was also NBC Marist that found similar numbers. And now today, once again, another source, CBS, CBS New York Times, uh, finds that uh, Clinton and Trump are now tied nationally after she has lost uh, what looks like a six-point lead that she had uh, previously, just a, a, a week or two ago. They are now tied 40-40 uh, in the new New York Times poll, New York Times CBS poll, uh, released Thursday morning. This was after Clinton had led Trump by six points, 43 to 37 last month. In the new poll, 67 percent of registered voters said Clinton is not honest and trustworthy. That's a five point jump from last month. Uh, as for Trump, uh, 62% said he was not honest and trustworthy. So more people think Hillary Clinton is not honest or trustworthy, according to this poll. Take it for what it's worth, but take it. Pay attention to it. Uh, also, uh, in this poll, drilling down very quickly here, the economy and jobs. Uh, Americans found uh, Trump beating Clinton 52 to 41 52 to 41 over Hillary Clinton um, trade with other countries. Uh, Donald Trump is up on trade over Hillary. 47, 46. They are equal in this poll. 46 to 46 when it comes to terrorism and national security. She is three points better than him on illegal immigration and on race relations. She absolutely wipes out Donald Trump. But them's the facts. And furthermore, uh, if you take all of these national polls, uh, the polling average, according to the New York Times and their system, however they average out polls, uh, Clinton is only up by one point over Donald Trump nationally, according to the New York Times national polling average. According to the Real Clear Politics average, Clinton is up uh, by just three points over Donald Trump. And according to the Talking Points memo, uh, definitely a progressive uh, Democratic uh, uh, media outlet. The TPM poll tracker average finds Donald Trump up over Clinton nationally on average by one point. Essentially a dead heat, but pay attention. Ignore it at your peril. Be in denial at your peril. I think 
voters are uh, better off and the electorate is better off when they are armed with the facts. That's what we try to do here. Um, anyway, that's not good news for Hillary Clinton or Democrats uh, who are in denial or otherwise. But speaking of denial, the Republican Party is holding their national convention in Cleveland next week. And what might or could happen there concerning Donald Trump and the last remaining never Trump dead enders? Well, what could happen? Could they really block Donald Trump's nomination and or select someone else entirely? Seems unlikely, but we'll get perspective on that from a presidential historian and advisor to Republican presidents and candidates next. Someone who actually knows stuff. Imagine that next on the broadcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Like everyone else, we're trying to guess what may go on in Cleveland next week at the Republican National Convention, reading the tea leaves. Uh, it's an unusual time, frankly. Uh, normally, we know a lot more about what will happen at these conventions than we do this year. We do now have some information, a bit of a schedule reported by The New York Times. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, who knows? Who knows if, it, if that's going to change? Who knows if the delegates are going to vote as they have been uh, uh, required to vote by their by their states? There's a lot of unknowns here. Uh, so to discuss some of those unknowns and the known knowns and the known unknowns or whatever it is, uh, I'm joined by presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author, uh, and a man who has served as an advisor to two U.S. presidents, both named Bush, as I recall. Doug Weed has been part of eight presidential campaigns. He's an expert on political conventions, and he is currently featured in the PBS documentary The White House Inside Story, premiering this week. Check your local PBS listings, as they say. He was also a 2012 Ron Paul campaign senior advisor, which is when we last spoke. Uh, that was back in June of 2012, I believe. Doug Weed, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you. Good to have you here. Uh, I Listen, I'm trying, like everyone else, to get my head around what could or couldn't, what can or can't or might happen at uh, next week's uh, convention in Cleveland. And I want to ask you about all of that. But first, I recall many months ago when Ted Cruz won the Wisconsin primary and everybody in the corporate media was briefly on about how this was the end of Trump. Cruz would now ascend to front runner status. But you wrote at the time, uh, as I recall, I think the headline was Cruz wins Wisconsin, Trump wins the nomination. How did you know that way back then? And, and what was the reason that you saw Trump finishing off the, uh, the rest? of the field as he quickly did thereafter. 
Uh, well, just the, the numbers and history. I, I think what uh, is missing uh, from uh, uh, some who crunch the numbers is the power of momentum and sequential momentum. So it's not just winning Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. It's winning them back-to-back that gives just tremendous, almost unstoppable power. And uh, in the case of Trump, uh, he had uh, he had already uh, stacked up enough delegates that it was pretty unstoppable. I'll, I'll put it to you this way: if, if you had to uh, if you had to go out there and and bag. 30 more deer to meet your quota, right. or 300 more deer, uh, which would be the chore you'd want to take. It's a whole lot easier hunting for delegates when you're that far ahead, as Trump was, than it is when you're Ted Cruz. So was that, and we saw a lot of this throughout the season, uh, the primary season, I think, so was that uh, I mean, essentially wishful thinking from folks who I think were in denial from day one? We've been talking about uh, you know, how well Trump was going to do with this particular Republican Party. Uh, you know, what, was this just the people who, who could not believe what was actually happening when you actually, as you say, Doug, looked at the math, looked at the numbers that clearly he was cleaning up everywhere? Not totally. The establishment uh, saw how close the Ron Paul folk came mm-hmm. to getting their man uh, nominated on the floor and, and getting his speech at the convention. They, they felt how vulnerable they were how the Ron Paul insurgency won mm-hmm. the delegates, even though they had lost the primaries. And they watched with astonishment as Trump just did not pick up the physical delegates as people, as individuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way it works is you're the county chairman and, and you, you uh, were a delegate last time to the RNC and you call me up and say, hey, Doug, buddy, you want to be a go to the RNC this year? And I say, oh, sure, that'd be great. You're going to do what I tell you now, right? I'm going to go stick my head out here on the, stick my neck out. I'm going to get you on the slate, but uh-huh. I, I need you to be a loyal soldier. And I say, absolutely, Brad, count on me. So th- that's the way it kind of works. And those people are not necessarily for Trump. They're not necessarily for Cruz. Uh, they're party establishment folk. And most of them this time around were left untouched, which means the majority of them were were for Mitt Romney. And that's why you had this outrageous moment where Romney gave a national speech mm-hmm. and acted like he was a candidate right. because he, he knew by name many of those delegates that were headed to RNC and Trump didn't understand how to get how to replace them with his own people. And he hadn't done it. So, there, so that's why they felt maybe they had a shot. Well, there is some irony, it seems, in uh, in in them uh, in the establishment taking on the Ron Paul strategy that he had used <laughs> to take on the establishment. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Uh, you're an expert, I, I should say, in in delegates and party conventions uh, at the at the county and state and national level. Uh, so, but you know, knowing what you know about how the delegates are chosen, when did it become clear that uh, Trump had sewn this thing up? And then we'll talk about whether he actually does have it sewn up uh, in in, uh, in Cleveland uh, with the rules committee and everything else. But when you looked at those numbers, how early did that become clear to you? Because 
like I say, there are still people that seem to be in denial today about it. Yeah, it began to become clear to me when I saw how divided the uh, GOP establishment uh, was. Uh, they're not monolithic. Mm-hmm. They they each have different desires, and what drives most of them is what drives most of political folk in the Democrat and Republican Party is power and money. And so there are uh, conservative uh, movement conservatives who are essentially uh, Catholic conservatives, and uh, they publish magazines, and they have companies that, that are on the fast track for federal dollars. I was astonished when I went into the White House to have some of these conservatives come into my office and say, now you've got to get us federal dollars for this and uh-huh. that and all these companies. I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute, I thought we're the conservatives. I thought the liberal Democrats did that. Mm-hmm. They said, well, we got to do it when we're in power, just like they do it when they're in power. That's the way it works. Mm. So you've got all these people feeding at the pig trough uh, that are part of the Republican establishment. That's how the Republican Party finances itself. That's how the Democrat Party finances itself. But as they squabble over the money and who's going to get the money, they aren't united, and they couldn't unite behind Cruz, and they couldn't unite behind Romney. And so there's a block of them that will do what Sununu says, a block of them that will do what Romney says, and a block of them who who will go with the winner, which in this case looked to be Donald Trump. I think that a lot of it had to do with uh, also with with simply misunderestimating, if I can use that word, uh, (laughs) Mr. Trump. Uh, Donald Trump uh, throughout this had been underestimated by a lot of the people in the establishment, in the media, among the electorate. How concerned, uh, Doug Weed, do you think that Democrats should now be about that same underestimation of uh, of Trump's candidacy? Yeah, he could win. Uh, it, it could happen of, of, of very much so. I mean, he's transformed politics. It used to be, you know, it was the 30, 45 second answer, then the 30 second. Then I remember rehearsing President George H.W. Bush on the 22nd answer, the most complex nuclear proliferation environmental educational question had to be answered in 30 seconds. <laughs> and Trump has reduced it to words. Three words make America great on the positive, and two words on his attack. You know, Lion, Ted, little Marco, and mm-hmm. crooked Hillary. So it, it's all changed, and he's, uh, he's brilliant at branding, and he didn't get a lot of the delegate thing, uh, strategy right, but he did so much right that it's been transformative political, and they, they've, uh, they're gonna, it's going to be an interesting uh, election. The uh, RNC, the Rules Committee, as I understand it, I, I believe today they're debating changes to the convention delegate rules uh, that might allow somehow delegates to be freed up from their obligation of voting uh, for whoever they've been chosen to vote for by their states. Uh, setting that aside for the moment, if that will be allowed or even if it would work to somehow unseat Trump at this late date, Seems like another pipe dream, frankly, from the never Trumpers. But how would that work exactly? What is the rules committee for the GOP allowed to do? Can can they come up with any rules that they want, even this late in the game before the convention? Well, they can do whatever they want. It's like uh, your homeowners association. It's not it's not like the U.S. government with the you know it does have its own constitution, but it can change it. So they do have the ability to do it. They did that to us to the Ron Paul campaign and had us uh, literally bodily picked up and removed and carried off the convention floor, mm-hmm. even though we had been legally uh, elected as delegates at the county level and, 
and then at the state level, and uh, it so sickened the governor of Maine that he walked off the floor when he saw those young people disenfranchised by uh, by mm-hmm. the party establishment. So they can do what they want, but it, of course, it, if if it were to happen, and it, it, it isn't going to happen, but if it were to happen, it would totally destroy any chances Republicans have winning. And there are people who don't care about that. There are Republicans, it's all about money, and they don't care. They'd rather lose than have a loose cannon in there who may or may not assure them Mm. of uh, the money that their company uh, wants to have from the federal government, from the taxpayers. It's, it's, uh, (laughs) as Trump famously says, it's rigged. Mm. (laughs) He's right. It's rigged. So, so you see no chance that the uh, never Trumpers no, are going to pull off no. a change with. It. Now, what about this? Uh, th- there was a delegate. They say, yeah. By the way, Brad, they say to release these delegates to vote their conscience. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not like <laughs> these are people who have a conscience. <laughs> it's it's uh, insider establishment people who want to be free to use the power they have as a vote to get money and to get things in exchange and to pit one delegate or one block against another so they can get something for their community or for themselves and that's that's why they that's why they want the freedom to vote their conscience and to do that they'd have to violate all their state laws but they can but it can be done uh, technically but it's not practical because Trump can Trump can also bargain for those delegates. There's things that he can give. And I'd a lot rather come out of this election being with an IOU from Donald Trump than I would with an IOU from John Sununu. Now, when you say bargain, they actually, you literally mean they can do that. Trump can offer things to these delegates. Is that, is that correct, that that's perfectly legal? Yes, it, it is legal unless... It's a candidate, let's say it's uh, uh, the governor, uh-huh. is a delegate to the convention, and he has state laws that bind him ethically about gifts that he can receive and not receive. But if they're not an elected official and bound by those laws, uh, Trump can, can do what he'd like, and politicians have done that. Money? The Kennedys famously uh, did that. Old Joe Kennedy bought and sold a lot of votes at the convention. Is it, 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 but so literally, money, cash. He can offer cash to the to the delegates uh, legally if he wanted to. Well, most uh, usually that sort of thing is avoided, uh, but uh, it 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 can be. It, it's not that uh, blatant. It's not that the candidate would come up. Mm-hmm. And offer you cash. It's you're you're in a hotel room with three or four other people, and the candidate comes walking in, and he shakes your hand. The picture's taken, and he pulls you aside. He says, "I they were telling me on the way up in the elevator about your mother and what she's going through, and this is outrageous in the insurance companies, and now they're not going to pay for the operation, and I'm just flabbergasted." But uh, I can tell you. I take care of my people. I take care. Uh, look at me. Look me in the eye. I take care of my people. Mm. And uh, it's up to you. You leave that convention, you may leave it thinking, gee, a vote for Donald Trump is a vote for my mama. Wow. <laughs> 
And, of course, Donald Trump would never do anything like that. Uh, I'm speaking with uh, Doug Weed, uh, presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author, uh, advisor to a number of Republican presidents and presidential campaigns. Doug, you you laughed at the uh, idea that uh, these delegates would uh, be free to vote their conscience because, as you see it, the establishment, the folks in power, the Republicans in power, uh, they want to stay in power. They want their money. They want their federal contracts, as you describe it. But what of the actual delegates? Uh, there was one in Virginia who went to federal court. He obtained a ruling just a couple of days ago that he was allowed to change his vote uh, or at least that he, he couldn't be fined by the party if he did not vote for Trump as he had been voted to do by the uh, via the state's primary. Does that court ruling only apply to Virginia's delegate? I mean, the sense that I got was that uh, that this guy was for real, that he was he really wanted to vote his conscience. I don't know him personally, uh, but when you have delegates on the floor who really are offended by Donald Trump, um is there anything there that uh, are, are these delegates now freed up by this court decision, as you understand it, to vote their conscience as they see it? I'd have to uh, uh, read and study that particular mm -hmm. case, but the, but each law has different laws. I mean, uh, in each the party has different laws in each state, uh, mm -hmm. how long they're bound and why they're bound. For example, in South Carolina, they had the famous Lindsey Graham law, and the party... Um, powers that be said, you know, Lindsey Graham might not win the nomination. So at the time they were thinking this guy's Lindsey Graham's, you know, going to try to get the nomination. He's certainly going to carry South Carolina. Absolutely will carry South Carolina. But let's say he carries South Carolina and then he gets eliminated later on in the contest and he drops out. What happens to those delegates? So they passed uh, a law uh, for the South Carolina delegates called the Lindsey Graham Rule, which said if the can any of the candidates who won in South Carolina drop out after the effect afterwards, then the delegates that they had won will go to the next highest vote getter in the South Carolina primary. So all of those type of laws uh, which affected, of course, Marco Rubio and where his delegates went mm -hmm. after South Carolina. All those laws can be challenged in court, uh, but uh, to be able to cobble together a victory for someone other than Donald Trump by doing that is pretty remote. And uh, quite frankly, Donald Trump, there's a lot of good and bad about Donald Trump, but, but I think he's right when he says that would be uh, uh, outrageous for so the party to allow that to happen. So it's a fait accompli at this point, as far as yeah, you're it's concerned. Yeah, a fait accompli. And you know, you know, in eight in 1880, the United States was faced with a choice between a corrupt politician who took money in return for favors and a New York misogynist who actually was a law partner, and he and his law partner shared the sexual favors of a young lady, and when she became pregnant, our erstwhile. Uh, presidential candidate stepped forward and assumed paternity of the child. And when one of his law partners died, the New York lawyer raised his daughter, became the, the, the guardian of the daughter, raised her. When she became a teenager, she fell in love with him. And when she turned 21, she married the man who had raised her, her ward. It was the only White oh House wedding, Grover Cleveland. 
and 21-year-old Frances Folsom, who became the First Lady. So that was 1880, Charles Blaine against Grover Cleveland. So we've seen some bizarre things happen before. (laughs) I guess we have, uh, but you have to go all the way back uh, to 1880 to find anything uh, quite quite so bizarre, (laughs) I think, as, as what we're seeing. Uh, But we don't have to go back that far uh, to Ronald Reagan. You wrote a a blog article not long ago, uh, Doug, at your blog, dougweed.wordpress.com, with the headline, Trump is Reagan. Uh, And I'm I'm wondering what you mean by that, uh, because uh, we've been talking on this program since Donald Trump got in the race that, uh, again, as far as people underestimating his popularity with the public, Reagan was a movie star, Donald Trump is a TV star, and and that seems to have brought both of them a long way. But what did you mean by uh, Trump is Reagan, as you see it, Doug? Yeah, they're both uh, non-politicians. They were both Democrats. They both went through divorce. Uh, there were some similarities. They're lined up on the issues remarkably similar, even though years apart. uh, uh, Their their position on abortion, for example, is exactly the same and a very nuanced position, and their position on gun control. And so uh, there are some similarities. There's some (laughs) huge differences, too. They're both from show business, Mm -hmm. Uh, some very big differences, too. But uh, I, I, I wrote it mostly, I wrote that blog to send a little warning, don't, don't underestimate this guy, yeah. because Ronald Reagan was seen as a warmonger and a racist, and no way he could get elected, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, defied the uh, prognosticators and one. Yeah, and that's uh, that is something that I think uh, another place where I think Democrats are underestimating it. It, it. People thought Reagan could never win, but then he sure did, and it shifted the entire party along with him to the right. Uh, you've already said you think that uh, Trump, in fact, could win. So let me move on uh, to uh, his his vice presidential pick as we go to air here today. Uh, it, it is being reported from via anonymous sources in the Trump campaign that uh, Indiana Governor Mike Pence uh, is going to be the pick. We'll see if that comes to be uh, the case. But uh, your, um, well, I think he might be an old colleague of yours, Bruce Bartlett, also a, uh, a bit of a disaffected Republican, I think, uh, worked with the uh, George H.W. Bush administration. He, he uh, tweeted today that the case for Mike Pence is basically the case for Sarah Palin in 2008. He's so stupid, he will make the nominee look smarter by comparison. Now, uh, <laughs> do do you agree with the uh, former Reagan administration official, Bruce Bartlett, who I think worked, for Ron, worked with Ron Paul and George H.W. Bush, as, as I recall? Well, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I know we had our own uh, situation with George H.W. Bush. We were going with a candidate that we had vetted, and everybody said he's the one, and we mm-hmm. thought he was the one, and the demographics lined up, and it had nice balance. And uh, then uh, in the last minute, some things popped up in his background, and uh, they jumped to Dan Quayle, and he, he had not re- we had really not spent enough time uh, vetting Quayle. Uh, so some felt that was a mistake. We won. We didn't win re-election in who, 92. Who were, you, Clinton, but who were you going to pick before you picked Dan Quayle? Jack Kemp. Oh, okay. Jack Kemp. And... and uh, 
but of course, uh, he ended up, uh, Bush ended up winning that year anyway. So I guess that worked out OK, uh, which raises the question, do vice presidential picks, as you have seen them, uh, Doug Weed, as a presidential historian, do they ever actually have a, a real outcome uh, effect on the outcome of the uh, presidential election as you see it? You know, it depends on your point of reference. Uh, and uh, uh, most people uh, believe that they don't. Most historians believe that they don't, that they don't make that big of a difference. But in a close election, everything makes a difference. And I think there are times, I, I think there's no question that Lyndon Johnson uh, made a difference for John Kennedy mm. in 1960. And so there, there are times when the vice president can make a big difference. That's why I think probably Kemp would have been uh, a, more, a wiser choice, and we haven't heard what the choice is, simply because he's been so thoroughly vetted on the national stage, and uh, he's, he's debated on the national stage. And he's sort of the Nixon of this, of this period, in the good sense, the good Nixon, not the bad Nixon. You remember in <laughs> 1964, Goldwater uh, went down to defeat, and uh-huh. Rockefeller and Scranton and all the Republican establishment, all the national media were saying, this is the end of the Republican Party, this is a disaster. But one man got in there and tried hard and fought for all the congressmen and senators up for re-election, and four years later he was president, and that was Richard Nixon. And I see Gingrich in a similar role, mm. one of the few who publicly has really uh, defended Donald Trump, and I think he probably would have been a wiser choice. So we'll see if we'll see what happens when they announce it. And if if uh, if it is Pence, then um, we'll we'll see how that plays out. We'll soon know how smart or dumb he is. We <laughs> indeed. Can you see uh, the establishment coming around now to Trump? Because yes, they pick someone who is an establishment choice, like Mike Pence, and uh, both. Uh, 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 Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell have both said they would support Mike Pence. Uh, will that make a difference in the way the party itself works with uh, the president, uh, the presidential nominee on the Republican side? Yes, I think you're right on the money, and that probably uh, is is why, if he goes with Pence, that's probably why he's done it. Uh, uh, Gingrich is not as popular um, with some of those same people mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Uh, you, yeah. You've worked with uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush and George W. Bush. None of the Bushes will be appearing at the uh, convention, uh, reportedly. Uh, have you had any conversation with any of them or with Jeb about where they are right now uh, when it comes to their own party? Well, <laughs> I had conversation <laughs> with one member of the family, uh-huh. and he was just kind of astonished at uh, <clears throat> at what, what was happening, but... I, I think that uh, they're very philosophical, the Bush family, and they're wise, and they know that this might be, in a way, a nice face-saving moment for them, because even if a, if a party establishment figure had won the nomination, it's not likely that the Bushes would have been highly featured at this convention. Uh, mm-hmm. for political reasons. The war in Iraq is just not being seen well historically as a as a wise move, and it's not something that the, that the candidate going into this election needs to remind people that the last uh, Republican president 
led us into the Iraq War and into the second worst depression in American history. So it's not someone you want uh, hanging around there with uh, the camera <laughs> taking shots of. And what, and what about uh, Ron Paul? You were a big uh, Ron Paul supporter, advisor, in fact. Uh, haven't heard much from either Ron, uh, Ron Paul or Rand Paul since he dropped out of the presidential race. Any idea where they are on this whole Donald Trump thing at this point? Well, you know... Uh, there, uh, Ron Paul is is uh, a purist, so so uh, Trump's not uh, not a purist, but a lot of the people around him kind of like Trump. They see him as the class clown. They don't like what he's saying about the fat girl across the room, but they love the fact that he's disrupting the class, mm. and they see him as a loose cannon that can't be guaranteed by the big banks and the establishment to do what they want. And so the fact that they have some of the same enemies has uh, made for some intriguing moments Hmm. uh, for some in the Paul camp. Uh, So uh, finally, and I haven't even asked you this, uh, Doug, and I don't know if you can answer it or not, but... uh, who are you supporting? Are you uh, are you uh, in the in the tank at this point for Donald Trump or any other Republican candidate or any other candidate? Period in this race. Well, as a historian, I'm trying to to say stay objective and stay neutral, but I identify with a lot of the Ron Paul people that I just mentioned who like mm-hmm. Trump because of his uh, of the disruption he's causing. Uh, it it, uh, it is just. Uh, very unfair uh, for me to to see the free enterprise system so corrupted, so absolutely uh, turned on its head, and the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer under a well-intentioned Barack Obama at a staggering rate, as the study at the University of California in Berkeley showed. It's it's uh, it's tragic. What is happening to young people? What is happening to this country? It, it, it's uh, we, we really we look at 9/11, and in a, in a way, I hate to say this, but in a way, the terrorists won. They they didn't defeat our spirit, but they have certainly changed our form of government. It's different now than it once was in in many respects, and certainly the economy after the war in Iraq and. Mm-hmm the collapse of the American economy, it, it, uh, it's changed dramatically. The American dream is very elusive now mm-hmm. for many, many people. And they just won't be able to have it. And you think a Republican administration could better uh, deal with that at this point than a Democratic administration? I think that the people who make money, who, who benefit off of a corrupt system right now, are are people who are connected to the establishment in the Republican Party and the Democrat Party, and it's indivisible. Uh, uh, As the chairman of Goldman Sachs said uh, a year or two ago, uh, and later became quite a controversy over whether he said it or not, and later afterwards he said, well, you know, I could have said it. He said, uh, Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush, either one would be just fine with me. And I, I think that the big banks and the large institutions that benefit from a rigged system um, are in place, and that's going to be ongoing, Mm -hmm. and that there's no way 
you're going to make money. You're not going to make enough money in your lifetime to give something to your grandchildren. There's a proverb in the Bible that says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's not very possible to be a good man in the United States of America. You, you can save that money, you can invest it in real estate, you can do whatever you want with it, but th- it, they're going to come after it and they're going to get it before you die. <laughs> you're going to be reduced substantially financially, and there's nothing you can do about it. Thanks for cheering us all up. Doug Weed, <laughs> uh, presidential historian, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, I know you're going to be uh, on the on the uh, the TV machine next week during the uh, Republican National Convention, uh, I think on Fox News, and uh, staying far, far away from the convention. That may be a good idea. I hope you don't mind <laughs> if, we, uh, if we check in with you from time to time next week, uh, depending on how things go. Uh, Doug Weed, you can find his work at DougWeed.com and his blog at DougWeed.wordpress.com. And you can bother him all you like on the Twitters at Doug Weed. And his name is spelled W-E-A-D every time. Doug, great talking to you. Look forward to doing it again in the future. Thanks very much, Brad. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we are back with the uh, Green News Report and what I think may be the funniest snarky comment ever in a Green News Report. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Yeah, I wish we could stop the world, keep it from melting. I know, I know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, no sooner did we get off the air, Desi Doyen, than two breaking news reports here on my iPhone. One from CNN saying Donald Trump has offered Indiana Governor Mike Pence the vice presidential slot on his ticket. CNN has learned that Pence has accepted And uh, that seems to be confirmed by NBC News, who says breaking Donald Trump chooses Indiana's Mike Pence as running mate. Gosh, I wonder what his position on climate change is. (laughs) Well, you'll be telling us uh, shortly, I suspect, probably on our next thrilling broadcast. But before that, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. The Democrat Party does not understand that coal is an abundant, clean, affordable, reliable domestic energy resource. Porn is dirty, but coal is is clean in the Republican Party platform. Helping to spread disinformation or misinformation or what we sometimes call lies. That's what they do for a living. Senate Democrats call out the web of professional climate deniers. 
Fort McMurray fired the most expensive disaster in Canadian history. June was the hottest on record for the United States. Plus, another fracking explosion, this time in New Mexico. All of those fracking stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And in 50 years, I don't want my grandson, Joe, to turn to me and say, Grandpa, you were in the Senate and you knew about the severity of climate change. Why didn't you do anything to stop it? And also, why are you still alive? (laughs) This is your Green News Report. You're 115 years old. Okay, Desi Doyen. Um, Boy, do I love Al Franken. That said, uh, here's what it sounded like this week at the Republican Party's Platform Drafting Committee. We're, we're just we're adding one word, and it's the word clean between abundant and affordable. Adding the word clean. That's all they're doing, adding the word clean. Yeah, that's the Republican Party's official platform committee that adopted that position on Monday in advance of their national convention. They call Internet pornography a, quote, public health crisis, but not coal, despite the fact that coal literally causes the death and disease of tens of thousands of Americans every single year. Self-described historian and author David Barton passed the amendment with the help of Wyoming Republican Senator John Barrasso. I would insert the the adjective clean along with coal, particularly because of the technology we have now. So the Democrat Party does not understand that coal is an abundant, clean, affordable, reliable domestic energy resource. Who knew coal is a clean resource? Really? Yep, and the vote was unanimous to label toxic coal as clean. Unbelievable. But the technology that Barton was referring to, it's carbon capture, it's an epic and expensive failure, as detailed in a blockbuster investigation by the New York Times of the taxpayer-subsidized Kemper Carbon Capture Plant in Mississippi. Yet the clean coal canard lives on. Well, Republicans don't read the New York Times, and I'm not sure they actually read anything. Meanwhile, 19 Senate Democrats called out the climate change denial industry on the Senate floor this week. The web of denial of interconnected think tanks and front groups funded by the fossil fuel industry that have waged a decades-long propaganda campaign to deceive the public about climate science. Here's Minnesota Democratic Senator Al Franken. These companies are worried that if people knew what their products are doing to the planet, they would stop buying their products or public policy would drive the markets away from their products. So in order to protect their bottom line, they set out to misinform the public. That's what they do for a living. And ExxonMobil is still funding the climate change denial industry, despite claiming otherwise. That's according to a new analysis of Exxon's charitable contribution disclosures by Desmogblog.com. Meanwhile, NOAA reported this week that June 2016 was the hottest June ever recorded in the continental United States, breaking the record set just last year. June's record heat also generated multiple extreme storms and floods in the U.S., putting 2016 on track to break our 
our previous national record for the most billion-dollar weather disasters in one year. That's fantastic. We win again. Speaking of billion-dollar disasters driven by extreme weather, Canada's Insurance Bureau confirmed this week that the Fort McMurray fire in Alberta's tar sands oil region is the most expensive disaster in Canadian history, Mm. causing more than $3 billion worth of damage. Officials say the fire is officially under control but may take until next summer to put out entirely. Wow. Just so ironical. The uh, fact that right there, the tar sands where they're pulling out this dirty oil that they want to ship down to the U.S., that it has been engulfed in flames due to the dry, hot weather caused by climate change, caused by their dirty oil. It just never ceases to amaze. Finally, another fracking explosion, this time in New Mexico. A raging fire, but thankfully no injuries after an explosion at a new oil fracking well site on public lands near historic Chaco Canyon National Historic Park. Residents were forced to evacuate due to heavy smoke because the state allows such drill sites to be located near homes, despite the high risk of wildfire in the very dried out west. So the Democratic Party is putting wind and solar above fracking finally in their party platform. At the same time, the Republicans are trying to tell the world that coal is clean. Yes. For much more on all of these stories today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. You know who does dirty deeds for dirt cheap? No, who? For the Republican Party, for the tobacco industry, and for the uh, fossil fuel industry? Gosh, who? That'd be Mike Pence. Remember what Doug Weed said, pigs at the trough. Yeah, coming up on uh, the uh, next thrilling edition of the Bradcast and the Green News Report, no doubt. Thank you, Desi Doyen, for that report and for producing today's program as ever. Thanks to my guest, Doug Weed. Check out his work at DougWeed.com. Or just wait for the gas to start flying next week in uh, in Cleveland. And thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com and, uh, and over at the iTunes and your favorite podcast site, anywhere you like. Uh, also, you can reach me on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog at both places. You can leave me comments at bradblog.com or at the Daily Coast. And what else? Oh, email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>